Let's face it, finding a therapist that is right for you can be so difficult. I mean, what questions do you even ask a therapist to know if they're competent within your culture and specific needs? How do you identify those early warning signs so that you can find a therapist that's maybe a better fit for you? Well, welcome to Normalize the Conversation. I'm your host, Francesca Reikader, and today I'm joined by a licensed professional clinical counselor and board-approved supervisor, Shawnee Tran. Shawnee creates videos to make people laugh while simultaneously empowering them to own their mental health. And today, we are going to uncover the questions that you can ask your therapist to discover warning signs, red flags, and ensure that you're working with someone who's the right fit for you. Shawnee, thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Before we jump in, I really just want to check in with you. How are you really? You know, that's a great question. I was just running payroll um, and I was also just getting some new supervisees into the system and also creating Wednesdays on my creative content night. So writing scripts. So how am I really? Um, it feels, I don't know if cathartic is the word release. I feel a release right now because when I'm sort of in this creative mindset, it's everything's in my head. And so now that I'm like writing out the scripts and I'm going to be recording them tonight, it feels like a release. Like my brain is just like dumping. Hey, here you go. So I feel, I'm like, oh, I got a feel. I'm like, I have a feelings chart right here. I feel optimistic. Oh, I love that. Oh, it's so great when you finally get to like release all that creative energy in your mind and put it on paper and actually get to see it and visualize it or not just visualize it, but actually get to see it in front of you. That's one of my favorite things that happens. I think for me, a way I re relate to that is with like my schoolwork. Right now I'm doing my master's in psych. We're writing like treatment plans for client that we were assigned and finally putting it on paper and seeing it. And it's not just all in my head and like all this jumbo or jumble. It's actually there and I can see it. Wow. What a big change. Yeah, it definitely feels, um, I'm one of those people that when I wake up in the morning, I have like a little notepad next to my bed and anything. Cause I feel like my thoughts wake up before I do. And I sort of like wake up and join the conversation. I'm like, Oh, hi, how, how are y'all doing today? And, and so I like to just like jot everything down right away because then it allows me to actually go through my morning routine of like meditating and like reading. Otherwise I'm, I, I feel a little on edge because I have, have to like release something in my brain. So if I just have a place to put it, my brain is like, oh, okay, the information's safe there. I don't have to work at remembering this for the rest of the day. So yeah. New skill I'm going to try because that's so true. I wake up and my brain is going a thousand miles a minute. I have no idea what's happening yet. And I'm just trying to get to the coffee machine so mm -hmm. that I can function and understand what's happening. I'm trying that tomorrow. Thank you. Oh, You're amazing. welcome. Let me know how it goes. Oh, I definitely will. But let's talk about you. Tell us a little bit more about your work. Yes. So 
when you say my work, there's like several categories here. I am an author. So I recently wrote a book called Dope Therapy, which helps people navigate the mental health field. And then I'm also a creative. So I love to create content that's making videos, that's having conversations with people like you. And then I'm also a therapist. I save that for last because that's the most mental work for me is being a therapist and helping people navigate their mental health, working with my clients. So outside of that, I love to run and exercise. I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a friend, um, and I'm also bisexual. So there's a lot of things that sort of come with me. Nothing personally I um, defines me. Those are just things that make up who I am. Oh, I love the way you describe yourself. It is so important to, I think growing up, one thing I struggled with was my identity and trying to fit it into like one word or one box. It's like, we can be so many different things and do so many different things, have so many roles and none of it defines who we are. It's all parts and aspects of who we are. And that's something that took me forever to learn and understand in the way you just so eloquently put it together. Amazing. Yeah, I think it's, what's the question that people, when you're at like conferences or even at like a new job, people, oh, I think they ask like, um, who are you? Like, it's kind of like a break the ice question. And I feel as if we can feel the pressure to, one, not take up too much space and time. So we try to condense it into a sentence. And I've just kind of come to the realization, like I'm all of these things. And it depends on what day, what I want to say about who I am. So what I just mentioned, it could change tomorrow. Who knows? I might, you know, go on a new adventure and call myself a hiker. Um, so it just depends. And I'm okay with knowing that as a human and as a person, I'm constantly transitioning in life and I get to choose what I get to say about myself and how long I want to talk about myself and what I want to share. It's so important that we gain that kind of sense of confidence in ourselves, right? That it's okay to be whoever we are and who we are today it does not have to be who we are tomorrow or who we mm-hmm. were yesterday, There's so many, I think, limiting beliefs in that sense where we kind of trap ourselves into one version of ourselves, maybe the version that we met in like high school. At least that's the experience I can speak on, right? Is that was when I first started kind of trying to figure out who I was, you know, getting ready to go to college. Everyone's like, who do you want to be? What do you want to do? And then that picture I put of myself in my head was who I thought I had to be every single day. Until I got to a point where I was so burnt out trying to live into this image or mold myself into an image that like 14 year old me created. And I'm in my 20s. I'm not I'm not 14 anymore. And that's okay for things to change for me to have different values and beliefs, to like different people, to have new experiences, to have new career paths and goals. I never would have thought I wanted to be a therapist when I was 14. I thought I was going to be a lawyer and a talk show host love that but then I grew up and found this love for psychology this love for mental health awareness for all these different things but trying to fit myself into this mold of you need to go to law school you need to study for the LSAT it broke me all that pressure I put on myself yeah I think that sometimes well I've learned to tell myself that I don't have to be anything that I don't want to be 
And that gives me the permission to do whatever it is that I want. And one of the things that I actually love doing is I like to try new activities. I think my activity for February was um, archery and then it's March. So I was going to do rock climbing because I've never done like indoor rock climbing, but I hurt my thumb playing tennis. Um, I was trying to be like Serena Williams. I am not Serena Williams. Um, and so I, I, I do those things because I want to continue to explore who I want to be and who I am, because sometimes we sort of just fall into who we are because we we're just like letting life happen to us. And I always want to make sure that I'm choosing how I want to live my life. And sometimes, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So that's why I love to try new activities because I, I don't know if I love rock climbing because I've never done it. Yes, exactly. Trying new activities, trying to discover different aspects of ourselves and learn. And I think that's something that's so undervalued is exploring who we are, right? We're so worried and caught up in trying to kind of show up in the way people expect us to and live up to all these expectations that people have or that society has or that we have set for ourselves. And we don't take the time to explore who we are and who we can be within that, outside of that, beyond it, we can be so much more than just the limited experiences that we've had so far. We can continue to explore and grow. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you are recognizing like, hey, I don't have to put myself into this box anymore. This is something that I get to explore and the box can be as big as you want it to be for what the exploration looks like. Yes, absolutely. And that's one of my favorite parts of therapy was learning that it didn't have to just be to grieve or to heal a trauma. It didn't have to just be for a diagnosis. I mean, those are all amazing reasons to go to therapy. And I thought that's all therapy was for. And one day I have found a therapist who just asked me questions beyond that, who we didn't focus solely on kind of all those situations, but who am I? Who do I want to be? What am I telling myself about myself? How am I trapping myself into this pain? And for me, that changed everything was finding that right therapist who asked the right questions and opened up my mind to seeing myself as a person and not just as like a robot that has to do what she's told. Yeah. Not seeing you, not seeing you for like a diagnosis too. Not seeing you as someone who has like anxiety or bipolar disorder, but seeing you for the human that you are. That's really important. Therapy. As soon as you said therapy, I was like, oh yes, here we go. This is the good stuff. Not that, you know, talking about me, I love that too. But um, I was like, yeah, this is, this is the good stuff when we start talking about therapy and helping people find their space in that. Um, I also wanted to point out that I think sometimes people can hear therapy and they're like, oh my gosh, okay, so is this the only way to fix my problems or is this the only way to fix the things that I'm that I'm struggling with? And it's like, no, it's just an option. And I think that the conversation is continuing to be had because not enough people are aware of sort of the benefits of it. Um, because maybe they don't have someone in their life that they know that's benefiting from therapy or that they can see. Um, I think sometimes, you know, your friends can be like, oh yeah, therapy works. And you're sitting there like, okay, girl, how? I haven't seen no changes in you. (laughs) 
That's so accurate, right? And people, first of all, there is a stigma and a shame and people don't want to talk about it with their loved ones. So they may not even know that their loved ones are getting this benefit from therapy. And then on the other aspect, talking to people about it, and maybe they have a great therapist and they are doing great work, but it's not something that's completely noticeable. Because a lot of times we don't see what people are going through, right? We don't see what's happening behind closed doors. So many people won't know someone that they love is struggling if there's not a conversation happening and if they're not seeing it, if they're not able to recognize the warning signs. So we may not even realize that people are kind of benefiting from therapy. If we don't see a specific change, it may be hard to even think, oh, that works. It actually works. It has a purpose. It has a benefit. And like you said, it is not the only option. It's one really great option when you find the therapist that's right for you. And you're also ready and willing to kind of commit to the process. Yeah, I think that that's very important is that you're ready and willing. And I say that because I I, I want people who tell people like, hey, I think you should go to therapy. I think you should go to therapy and sort of like keep mentioning it because they know that the person will benefit from it, that the person needs to be ready and willing. And that's when therapy works best is the person wants to be there. They they don't have to know what it is that they want to work on. They just know like something's not right. And so I want to talk to someone to figure out what is not right Um, but I want to be here and I'm willing to do this work. It's so important to be willing to do the work, to be willing to be honest and vulnerable and open for, I'll give an example. I have a loved one who, when bring them to therapy, they're not necessarily very open. They're very surface level because they are scared. They don't have a lot of information. They're younger and they are not ready to do the work because they don't understand what the work is and it's terrifying to them so because it's all surface level and not getting into what's actually wrong what's hurting them what's causing them any kind of pain or grief or any experiences that may have affected them negatively any negative self-thoughts any thoughts of harming oneself in any way none of that's coming up because it's just so much fear what does that mean Yeah. And I I think too, an an important element is having trust. Um, This, yes, you can go see a therapist and you, and, and you may know like, okay, the therapist is here to help me, but trust still needs to be built. And that can take place over time. Like, I mean, I've definitely had clients where something that they've wanted to tell me since day one doesn't come out until say a year later. And that's because it's, it's not necessarily that people want to hold back. It's, it's, we're building trust. I like to think of Brene Brown's um, sort of model for trust. And that's thinking of it as marbles in a marble jar. And when people do things that you start to trust them more, you add marbles to the marble jar. Now also knowing that the marbles can be taken out. And so sometimes clients, they sort of are adding marbles. And then once there's enough marbles, AKA enough trust, they're like, okay, I feel comfortable disclosing this. Um, And it could be a very vulnerable thing that they already feel guilt or shame about. And so they want to make sure that they're disclosing it in a safe environment that, that also has trust. It is so important to have trust. And it's so important to realize that it's okay to be like worried or nervous or scared in the beginning and not feel like you have to open up completely. But as a client, if I want to 
go to therapy, find a therapist that I can trust? What are maybe some red flags that we're not building any rapport, we're not building any trust, and this isn't moving forward in a positive therapeutic relationship that works for me personally? Yeah, I say, so I'll start off by saying like signs to look for, because they may not necessarily be red flags right away. Um, but paying attention to how the therapist talks to you. Um, are they, one, are they talking at you? Do when we, we often give like reflective language. So that could be someone saying like, um, an example might be, I'm feeling nervous to go, or I don't want to go see I don't want to go to the parent teacher conferences. They're just going to talk about my child. And maybe the therapist reflects, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're feeling a little anxious about going to the parent teacher conferences because you're anxious about what could be told about your child. That might just be like sort of a reflective sentence. And in that it's like, Oh, okay. So you are hearing me. We sometimes add words to it to sort of like get label those emotions, but that's one thing It's paying attention to how the therapist reflects what they're hearing. And that sort of tells you like, is the therapist like truly listening to me? That's one thing. Another thing could be, um, when you meet with your therapist, are they running late? that is a red flag for me is if the therapist is consistently late, it's sort of, if it's a one-off situation, like say for instance, they're like, sorry, I'm running 10 minutes late. And that happened like one time. That's totally fine. But if your therapist is like 10 minutes late here, seven minutes late here, eight minutes late here. Um, to me, that's a red flag for how they value someone's time and you know, whatever they need to do on the back end to manage their schedule. Um, some other things to look for is how do you feel when you leave the session based on how the therapist talked to you? I say that because there's two things to differentiate here. You may feel different after the session because of what you talked about versus how you feel about the therapist responding to what you talked about. So you may feel like, wow, like she really gave me some tools there. She, I really felt heard there. But let's say if you talked about your trauma, like I don't want to talk about that. And I feel really like, just down and sad remembering that information. So being able to differentiate the two and those are just some tips. Those are really great tips because it's so hard to know what to look for. It's so hard to know that not every therapist is going to work for you and that's okay. That's not you. That's not that you are broken and not capable of going to therapy and getting help and support that you need. It just means that that therapist may not be the right one for you. And that's okay. But if you don't know how to recognize those signs, it can be really difficult. I love the last one specifically because for me, I'll give a specific example. I was seeing a therapist maybe about a year ago. And in the beginning, I really, really liked her because I felt like I had a lot of time to like open up and explore. And then as we started moving from just kind of that exploration phase into more of a action-oriented I felt very pressured constantly. And like, I would say something and instead of being validated or heard, it was like, well, then why didn't you do this? And I'm like, that's not currently an option. That is a great option in the future. But right mm -hmm. now it was about kind of like moving away and taking more financial responsibility, going tens of thousands of dollars in debt currently to be a college student, right? To get a yeah. degree to... Also just being young and starting to get it 
working, right, and starting to slowly make money and having already student loans to be paying off from undergrad, it's not that easy to suddenly just be like, well, then I'm going to move out and I'm going to be able to take care of all these bills on my own. Great option. Great option. Something I'd love to work toward. I can't do that today. So yelling at me every session to do that today is not getting me anywhere. Yeah. And I appreciated the direction and the advice because I know like end goal, that's really something that would have helped me is having my own space to be my own person. But right now, that's not the answer. So when I started to feel really pressured in the beginning, I was like, you know what? It's me. It's me. I, she's right. I need to just figure this out. And I started to feel really invalidated and very angry with myself all the time. And then I talked to someone else and they were like, well, no, that's not the option right now. So how can we cope with what's happening? How can we help you take steps toward that solution, that end goal? What are small things we can do today to help you feel better, to help you feel like you can form your own identity instead of feeling pressured to do something that you're just not in a position to do? Yeah. And I think that that's, that's very important is knowing that therapists technically should not be telling you what to do. They should be helping you process to come to your own decisions around that. Now they might, um, I'm trying to think, how do I word this? Cause it's not necessarily like offering advice, but they may ask why not necessarily to be like, why, but maybe necessarily to gather more information to help you make the decision around the process. Um, I like to think of, as you were talking, I sort of think about maybe people that are a part of the LGBTQ plus community and, you know, there's sort of this um, societal norm that you have to come out, right? Like come out. And that's not always safe for everyone, um, depending on the city they live in, depending on the school that they go to, depending on, you know, if they still live at home with their parents. And so I say like, you know, let's say if we have a client and they're like, you know, I'm just trying to figure out how to, how do I come out? I might ask as a therapist, like, let's talk about what coming out would mean for you as far as like your safety. Um, and I want to scale it back to that versus how do I come out? Because I'm wondering if how do I come out is a part of the societal norm that if you're part of that community, you should come out versus how do you be who you want to be when you want to be? It's really important that it's framed in a way that it's guiding you to mm -hmm. figure out who you are, who you want to be and make decisions that are right for you. Because at the end of the day, only you can figure that out. No one else can tell you the right decision for you because they're not in your shoes. They're not living in your life. They can just help you find the right questions to ask yourself, guide you toward the tools that you need to make a decision, to explore who you are, to explore different coping tools, self-care practices, behavior modifications, all these things that you can do for yourself to figure it out. They can't give you the answer. And for me, that was something really important to learn was the point of therapy was not to be told what to do and how to do it. It was to learn how to figure it out myself with a guide who can offer that support, that validation, and even help keep me safe in the process if I don't know how to process or handle something. Yeah, I think that I, I want to, I keep saying, I think that, but it, it's important to know that like the process is for you and the therapist to get aligned with what your goals are. Um, 
And yes, the therapist can say, oh, you know, I've noticed that an example might be is whenever we talk about this topic, um, you sort of like dart your eyes or you start to avoid. I just want to check in and see like, is this something that you feel you would like to work on um, and what that looks like? Yes. And it's okay to say, no, I'm not ready. Yes. It's okay to establish boundaries and therapy as the client. You are the expert in yourself. You're Mm -hmm. able to say, I'm not ready for that. It's okay. It doesn't mean that you're failing at therapy, that you're not a good client, that you don't want to be there. It just means that I'm not ready yet today. And that's okay. And I'm just on a journey figuring out where I'm at and what I want to do, what's right. But it's okay to set boundaries and say, that's not something I'm comfortable discussing or working on today. That's very important. And it's a complete sentence. I'm not ready or, or no. I think that just being able to recognize where you are in the process, because again, going back to what you stated earlier, ready and willing. Yes, absolutely. And then a really important question I want to ask, and I think this was something I learned actually recently in a class I took, multicultural counseling, where we learned how culture is different or has so many different aspects, right? Whether it's race, ethnicity, whether it's religion, whether it's language, socioeconomic factors, all these different pieces of who you are. How do you ask a therapist about a a piece of, if they're confident in or qualified or have experience in something that's a part of who you are that you want to incorporate into therapy? Yeah, I think that, I don't know why, like, I think that you just ask. Um, and I, I don't want to say like, you just ask. It's sort of this, like, everything that you want is on the other side of fear. And also recognizing that you can do hard things. I feel like I'm quoting so many different people here. But I think about my own therapy experience. So when I was looking for a new therapist, this was 2021. Yes. Um, it was right after my dog had passed. And it was around, what's that? Right after the elections. Oh my gosh, the pandemic years. I just can't keep up with what year was what year. But during that time, when we had the previous election, um, I live in Arizona. And so Arizona was a red state that was flipped blue at the time. And so I remember feeling like as a Black woman, if I'm going to have therapy with someone who is white, for me, I need to make sure that I feel safe in the room and that this person, yes, they have unbiased views, but they also have my best interests at heart. And it's not just because they have the education, but they actually practice cultural humility. And so I remember feeling very nervous to ask my therapist, who did you vote for? But I knew that for me, it was, it was information that I needed to know because you can't sit here and tell me that you see me as a person, you um, can help me navigate like um, my struggles as a black woman, if you aren't an ally to me. Um, and I remember feeling very nervous. And then my my therapist asked me a question. She was like, so my question for you, she's like, I will answer the question, but something I want you to ask yourself is how would finding out who I voted for um, change our relationship for you? Um, because even if I say, and she hadn't told me yet, she was like, let's say, even if I 
say I voted for like Biden, does that give you the information that you need? And I remember we like spent quite a bit of time processing what information it was that I was actually looking for, because it, it, it for me, it wasn't just like, who did you vote for gave me sort of a sense of your allyship, but also there's something more behind that, that I wanted to know. And then she was like, well, I don't want you to ask me on this session. I want you to go home and think about it. And I remember feeling like so, so nervous. So then the next session I was like, okay, I thought about it. <laughs> yep. You're right. I do want to know. And then she was like, okay, ask the question. I was like, I asked the question last session. You know what I want to know. And she's like, nope, ask the question. And it and what it was doing was getting me to practice one, saying things with conviction and two, knowing that I can do hard things. So usually when I'm scared to ask something that, that sort of like fear lasts for maybe like 10 seconds for me. And then the fear changes to like, okay, wait, what's the response now? And then it sort of like changes. So I asked her, um, and then I remember leaving the session, like, yeah, I can do hard things. And now you've put a, um, a marble into my trust jar. I love that. It's so important to process why you want to know the information, right? What are you actually looking for? Because I think a lot of times we have this idea or expectation of what we're looking for from a therapist. And we think we know what question we want to ask. And we don't know how getting the answer, how we're going to respond, first of all, because what if you get the answer you don't want? What if they tell you they voted for the person that is so against you? Are you going to feel comfortable sitting in that room? Are you going to feel comfortable walking out of that room? Being able to understand what that means to you is so important. And that's, I've never heard someone do that before. And it's so It's a personal question to ask your therapist, but also at the same time, I just wanted to make sure I could feel safe because if you're helping me as a black woman, but yet you're also supporting and voting for someone that, that literally is against, that literally is against me and the color of my skin, you don't really see me. You don't really support me. Um, and so I can't trust you as a therapist and, and that's specifically for the therapeutic relationship that I felt. I can't speak for some people. They're like, ah, yeah, that doesn't really matter to me. And guess what? That's okay. Yeah. It's different for everyone. And I would love to expand on that more. So let's say that you're in therapy and you have someone who is a different race ethnicity than you, and you're not sure if they're understanding you. You're not sure if they are understanding where you come from if they are looking at you behind the lens of you being a human and being a person, or if they're looking at you only from what they see on the outside. What other questions can you maybe ask to get a sense of, okay, they understand, they're listening, and maybe they don't understand, but they're willing to go home and do the work and research and learn and ask questions and show up for me in the way I need, or they genuinely aren't willing to see me as anything more than my skin color or my sexuality or my gender. And they're not willing to be there for me and to do the work themselves. Being able to ask the therapist, yes. Have you ever worked with anyone with my concern? And if so, how did you approach that? Because then one, they're either, they have to be honest, right? Of like, and and can I just stop and say, if if a therapist asks the question, how would me answering that question impact you when you're asking a cultural question? Okay, thank you so much because we're not gonna at, we're not gonna reflect the question 
onto me when I just asked you a question that is going to help me figure out if I want to work with you. I just want to state that. Um, and then going from there around like, there's a difference between not understanding and being misunderstood. And so if you find yourself in a place where you feel like you have to explain because you feel misunderstood based on how the therapist is reflecting language back to you, that may be something to sort of ask yourself, okay, am I explaining here? Cause I don't want, I don't want to have to explain to you. Or is it a conversation around the therapist? You can tell that they are not understanding and you may inquire, I just wanna check in are you understanding what I'm saying here? Like you can ask them just like we offer reflection. You can reflect, you can ask them to reflect. Hey, can you tell me what you're hearing from me? Being direct is so, so useful. And so I think people are afraid to directly ask, like, are you understanding? What are you hearing from me? Do you have experience in this? These are all valid questions that you are encouraged encouraged to ask. And yet I feel like there's this fear of asking. And to me, one thing that I learned, so I took my multicultural counseling class last semester, and I learned that we tend to learn statistics and facts and from textbook and the research. We didn't learn a lot about implementing. So I remember us all asking questions constantly and like, okay, but what do we do in this scenario? What if we don't know we're saying the wrong thing? What if we don't know that we are not using supportive language? What if we don't know? Can a client call us out on it? If they do, how do we respond? How do we go home and educate ourselves? How do we do better? How do we learn? How do we implement this? How do we not become just a statistic trying to, a statistic that's hurting people instead of helping them? Because the reality of it is right now, white people make up the majority of the therapist. That is a fact. Straight white people make up a large majority of the therapists. So we need to be getting the tools and information on our side and the education so that we can be. But you also, as the client, are so, so, so important and you, sh you should be feel comfortable asking the questions. You should know that it's okay to ask the questions and if someone is not, they need to do the work and they need to be called out. Like you need to be called out because you might not know. And if you don't know, I would like to say that goes on so many, there's so many different factors that can lead to someone not knowing. But if no one ever calls them out and they stay ignorant to, to it, they're not only gonna hurt you as the client, but so many other clients. So know that, ask the question. Please ask the question because they need to learn. We need to learn, that's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, it calling a therapist out is go for it. Um, we are trained to take feedback. Um, and the the relationship is very much sort of take. So and what I mean is like the client is taking it's not meant to be about the therapist, obviously, unless the client says something that is intentionally harmful towards the therapist, but that's not what we're talking about here. Um, I think it's also important to remember that psychology and stats are mainly based on white people. So knowing that therapists go to school and it's a very westernized way of thinking. And even some therapists are thought to believe that by taking a multicultural class that makes them culturally competent um, to work with other um, races, ethnicities, and 
Yeah. I think that I want clients to hear that because, um, it requires a lot of work outside of school. It does. And I think for me, I can say I was, I remember in my, um, we had to do evaluations after and like, what do you want improved? I was like, I would like more than one course. I would like more than one course because culture makes up so many different aspects of who we are. There is no way you can teach me how to be a competent, kind, compassionate therapist for every race, ethnicity, every gender identity, every sexual orientation, every language bearer, socioeconomic status. There's no way I can get enough information in one class. And even in 10 classes, I can't. But we don't even break the surface, in my opinion, in just one class. And that's why it's so amazing to have conversations. It's so amazing to read books, to listen to podcasts from people who have experience, who can actually speak on these topics. Not looking at, look at who's running the research, first of all, and where it's coming from. Look at what books are being written from what perspective, who's writing them, what experience they have, what background are they from? Because someone who, if I'm writing a book about a different ethnicity and it's based on research that I'm conducting and I have no experience in any way, shape or form, any education, any support, I've not asked any questions to anyone outside of my own bubble, I am not gonna give you the information that you need. I just am not. And that is a fact I should know. And a lot of times, we don't know how to check who's writing it, who's running the research, who's behind it. So as therapists, as future, as future therapists, it's so important to be educating myself, but on the back end, knowing that clients also, I just really want to stress the point that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask a question to your therapist and to tell your therapist, I don't think you're right for me. You do not have to sit in a therapy session with someone who does not see you who's not understanding you, who's not able to help you because you deserve better. Like you deserve better. Yeah. I love that. You deserve better. You do. And that's not a conversation that I think happens enough. And it really wasn't a conversation I even realized. So I took a class and was like, wait, it is very different for every single person. Someone who's afraid of their immigration status is going to be a lot different helping them in therapy for someone who's not. Someone with a language barrier who mm-hmm. may not understand certain words and terminology and being able, are you able to explain it to them? Are you able to actually listen to them? If you, if there's so much of a language barrier that you guys are not able to communicate, what resources is available if you are the only option for them? What resources can you find so that you can be? And if not, how can you get them the right support? how can we actually get people the right support is so important. But I think as clients feeling empowered to know that you're allowed to ask for it as well. Yeah. It being in therapy is a collaborative, collaborative process where two people are working together on the same uh, common goal. Goal. Absolutely. And speaking of goals, what are some of the goals people may set in therapy? What are some reasons people may go to therapy? I think that there's so many different reasons. I think it just comes down to knowing that something's not, something's off. I don't want to say something's not right, but knowing that something's off, that could be relationships. That could be how you feel. That could be your job. That could be your sense of 
purpose because there's so many reasons to go to therapy and not just sort of for a diagnosis. Um, and by for a diagnosis, I mean, you, uh, you know, like depression, anxiety, you can go to therapy because, you know, you've been arguing with your partner and you want to figure that out. Yes, there's so many different reasons and it's not a one size fits all. It's not a one size fits all. There's so many different reasons people go to therapy and so many different goals that come out of it. You may think you're going to therapy for one thing and start to realize that there's other things you want to work on and that's okay. So when you get to therapy, I think a lot of people just don't know what therapy actually looks like, what the process of therapy may entail. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah. So when you go, you essentially will meet with a therapist the first time. Um, it depends on if you're using self-pay or insurance. Um, and then you sort of make goals together. It, it's kind of hard to like summarize it because there's different modalities out there, such as like, um, you know, you have CBT or you have EMDR and those types of therapy. CBT is sort of like a form of um, talk therapy, whereas EMDR is eye movement desensitization. And so that can look very different. But essentially knowing that you're going to build a relationship with a therapist, you're going to come up with some goals, and then you're going to figure out like how you can achieve those goals. And there should be routine check-in on how the goals are doing and knowing that the goals will shift. Um, and then I highly recommend no less no, no less than biweekly. I just don't, as a therapist, I don't believe in monthly sessions unless you're already in the process and monthly sessions are meant to, um, sort of check in as you phase out. But also I want to say that I recognize that like monthly sessions may be like what someone can afford based on their social economic status. Um, however, at the same time, it can be very much check-in like, Hey, this is a lot happens in four weeks. Um, and so in order to like do the work, I would recommend, um, bi-weekly. Absolutely. It's, I think to me, something that I've learned is when you're figuring out how often to go to therapy, looking at one, how much someone can afford and how feasible it is for them to get there, what options are available. If maybe they can't physically get there in person is telehealth an option in between, but also looking at what support they need. Someone, if you are struggling very deeply for me, when I was fresh out of a psych ward, after attempting to unlive, I needed to be in therapy four times a week. I needed to be in therapy four times a week. It was very, very important. That was what kept me alive. So looking at what situation you're in, just because you hear, oh, someone's in therapy four times a week. If I say, oh, I sometimes have dark thoughts. I'm going to have to go to therapy four times a week. And now I'm never going to be able to do anything in my life is over. Or I'm going to end up in a psych ward. There's so much, I think, confusion. So looking at what you need, what support you need, what's feasible for you and making a plan with your therapist is so important because like you said, monthly can feel very check-in. A lot happens. You may just be talking about what happened the past month for the entire session, but it also may be the best option at the time and that's okay too. So finding what works for you based on where you're at and what support you need. Yeah. I, I and I think that it's based on what you need. Um, and also knowing that it therapy is not meant to be a, a space where if you're just only venting and you're not processing. Yes. And for those who don't know the difference, what is the difference between venting and processing? 
So venting is essentially like recounting what's happened and processing is feeling out is figuring out like what are the feelings behind that the actions behind that where did it come from and then what do you want to do about that It's so important that we don't just vent and heal but we process what we're feeling because you're everyone feels everyone feels everyone has every single feeling in the book we all do that's part of being human but processing what's causing it it's different for everyone. What makes someone else feel symptoms related to depression that may keep them in bed for two weeks at a time may look very different on you. So processing, why are you feeling this way? What's causing me to feel overly anxious or burnt out or extremely, extremely sad? What is causing these feelings and how can I process, manage, move through, cope? is so important. If you're not processing, you can't, at least to me, if you're not processing, you can't heal. You really can't move forward. I would just change the language a little bit. I don't know. I don't like the word can't (laughs) because I think that like venting can be helpful just in the therapy process. um, It's important to process it because you're growing from it with um, a professional because we can use our friends to vent and, and venting can be helpful and in being helpful, it also can be sort of like a very cathartic thing that we do and release. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for calling me out on that and changing. Oh yeah, no problem. It's, it's so important. This is what I mean about calling people out, teaching people the right language, because sometimes you don't know, and it's okay to be wrong. I hope everyone knows that it's okay to be wrong, as long as you're willing to learn from it and willing to admit that you were wrong and make a change. So yeah, that's all I just didn't about. want anyone to hear that and be like, oh, I can't go to therapy because I can't process. And it's like, oh, no, that's, nope, that's not what we're saying here. <laughs> Definitely not. I hope that's not the message people got. And thank you again for calling me out because it's so important that we are paying attention to the language that we're using. It is so important that we're paying attention to how people may interpret us as well and what they're hearing. Yes, interpreting and also what they're hearing and also knowing that like I'm a therapist, so I am most of the time when I'm talking about mental health, actively listening and paying attention to the words that people use. It's so important. And as we are beginning to wrap up, what is one piece of advice you can give to someone who's interested in maybe starting therapy, maybe has tried before and just hasn't had a good outcome in finding the right therapist? What piece of advice can you give them? Ask for support. Sometimes that's the hardest part. The most challenging is trying to find a therapist. And so if you can ask, you know, maybe a friend or family member, hey, you know, I just want to let you know I'm having a really hard time with my mental health. I'm wondering, I'm looking for a therapist that is BIPOC, also a part of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, Would you mind like helping create a list for me? Um, That would be really helpful. So I think that's sort of the biggest advice is being able to ask for support. And it could be, hey, I have my first therapy session. I'm wondering, will you be available or could you be available to talk after my first therapy session? I want to sort of like reflect on it with with someone that I feel safe with because um, I'm, I'm nervous about going. Those are just some, a couple ways to approach it. I love that. Shawna, you've been absolutely incredible today. Thank you so, so much. Well, thank you so much for having me.
Thank you so much for listening to Normalize the Conversation. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This podcast is an initiative of inspiring my generation, focusing on normalizing the conversation, bringing education and awareness to the forefront, and amplifying global voices to spark change and hope. Inspiring My Generation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization on a mission towards suicide prevention through awareness, conversation, education, and support. Connect with us on Instagram at inspiringmygeneration and visit our website inspiringmygeneration.org to learn more about our work and how you can make a difference.